Thank you for choosing OECD podcast. When it comes to migration, we often think of the challenges and dangers migrants may face on their journeys, those terrible images and stories we've seen in the news in recent years. But there are many kinds of migrants. Their reasons for migration and routes to arrival in their new country are diverse, and only one part of their stories. Welcome to OECD Podcasts. I'm Kate Lancaster. Today we're looking at what happens to migrants once they begin to settle into their new home. To help us understand why migrant integration is a vital issue and a long-term investment that pays off, I'm joined by Thomas Liebig, an OECD researcher who's been working on migrant integration for more than 15 years. Hello, Thomas, and thanks for being here. Let's begin simply. What do you mean by migrant integration? Migrant integration is the process by which the outcomes of immigrants become similar to those of the people who have been born in the country. That implies two things. First of all, it is something that takes time. It's a process that may take many years to, uh, to achieve. And it, obviously it's outcomes across all areas of life. It means to have similar outcomes in the labor market, to get similar education levels. This is obviously more an issue for the people who are born in the country than for people who have arrived as adults. It also means that they become so part of the social fabric of the country and that they can realize their full potential and are considered part of the host country throughout all areas of public life. So participation in education, participation in civic events, community groups, jobs, that's what you mean by outcomes in all parts of life? That's right. Uh, clearly, a key indicator is integration to the labor market. It's mm. also something that we can very easily measure and it's something which immigrants themselves say that this is perhaps the most important thing for them to become part of the host country. But all of these areas are very closely interlinked. For example, if you are well integrated into the labor market, there's a better, you have more social contacts, you speak the language better. At the same time, speaking the language better is also a prerequisite for social integration and for better labor market integration. And uh, yes, if you can't speak the language, you can't get a job. But if you have a job, you'll little by little learn to speak the language even better, get to know your colleagues, other people you work with, and join your new host country in that way. Is that what you're saying? That's right. All of these areas are interlinked. And clearly, some areas are easier to measure, like the labor market integration for us. It's very easy to measure because you can see whether somebody is employed. In all countries, we have good data on that, where social integration is a bit more difficult to measure. And people also have different understandings of what they actually mean by mm -hmm. social integration. Well, this all sounds very human, very normal. We all want a job. We all want friends. We want to be a part of where we live. And to me, that answers what was going to be my next question. Why should we care about migrant integration? Well, obviously, because migrants are human beings, just like everyone else. But there must be other reasons that migrant integration matters. Currently, in the OECD, one in 10 persons is foreign-born. And this share has grown virtually everywhere. And if we include those who are born in the country but who have one or two immigrant parents, population is often referred to as the second generation, then on average we get to about one in five. So one in five either born themselves abroad or have foreign-born parents. And we know that in many countries, particularly in Europe, the native-born children of immigrants also have some difficulties in integration. And so clearly it's an important part of the population which cannot be left behind. But it's also important for social cohesion. It's important 
for achieving any target that you want to achieve in the future with respect to gender equality, uh, with respect to tackling the demographic challenge. If you leave that important part of the population aside, clearly you cannot achieve any target. But it's also obviously very important for social cohesion that the full potential of everybody is used and that all people living in the country participate in the labor market and society at large on an equal footing. And last but not least, good outcomes of the people who are already here are also a prerequisite for the population to be willing to accept more people coming in. So you mean if the migrants who arrive are well integrated, doing well, they get along with their neighbors, they're employed, that will make the country as a whole more welcoming to migrants in general? That's right. And it's also, by the way, a prerequisite for the migration development focus to work. Because what do you people, mean by the migration development focus? There's a lot of thought about the contribution of migration to development. And at the OECD, we've been doing a lot of work on this, looking at by which way migration can contribute to supporting the origin countries. Mm. Clearly, when the people who arrive are not well integrated, their skills are not well used, then everybody loses. The migrant themselves loses, the host country loses, but also the origin countries loses because these people cannot remit, cannot send money back to their origin countries. These people, if they return, they have not been valuing their skills in the host country, so their skills, rather than gaining new skills, their skills have depreciated, they have mm -hmm. lost in value. So my integration is key on many fronts for development, for the host country, and for the migrant, him or herself. So are there... Other consequences to not actively working to integrate migrants? I'm thinking about the fact that it costs money to integrate migrants. So what is the return on that investment? And is there a price to be paid if we don't invest in integrating migrants? There's a price to be paid if we don't integrate migrants, both economically, but perhaps even more important socially, because integration is key for social cohesion in our societies, giving the large uh, population shares of migrants that we already have. And also, if you look at the development that is expected in the future, most likely in, in most countries, there's going to be more migrants coming, partly because of the demographic change and partly because people are more mobile. And that can only work if people are well integrated and their skills well used. Some of this investment that's being made for migrant integration may not pay off immediately, but it will pay off in the long term. And including for the native-born children, because if the parents are well integrated, the children also have better outcomes. This is a clear link that we have seen in our work in the education, in the labor market, and in the society at large. So then investing now means perhaps less social spending later, better social cohesion, fewer social divides, and stronger economy even. Is that a fair argument to make? That's a fair argument to make. And we should also not forget, and this is something that may perhaps come as a surprise, that we see that immigrants on average actually take less in terms of social benefits than the native-born. And clearly, when they're well integrated, their skills used, they can also contribute a lot more even to the societies of their host countries. Getting inclusive growth, and this is a key objective of uh, all OECD economies can only be achieved if all potential is used. So this important and growing group um, must also be considered on an equal footing. I think, though, that there are those, to take a sort of devil's advocate view, there are those who would say, yes, but, you know, migration doesn't affect all parts of a country in the same way. Or if we let too many migrants in, won't it be impossible to immigrate them? There's a lot of fear out there about migrants and about integrating migrants. How would you address that? That's right. While migration 
And that's what most research finds is beneficial on average. That doesn't mean that every part of the country, every locality, and every group will benefit equally. There's a lot and hidden behind the averages. There's there? a lot hidden behind the average, and I think that's been one of the mistakes that has been made in communication and also in addressing the issue that not everybody gains. And uh, clearly, while there's an average gain, there's scope for using that gain and make sure that those who lose don't lose out and to compensate those. And this is a key challenge. We know that a lot of areas who have very strong immigrant concentration are struggling, even though local communities are doing an excellent job at integration. And actually, that's where integration ultimately takes place. But we also see that clearly when you have a high concentration of low-educated immigrants, these areas need more support because this is a group that needs support. And it's very important that these issues that arise often on a local level or for some specific groups like the low-educated young males, that's where often the competition also with the native-born may take place when there is a competition. So the support that's needed is more general than just for integrating the migrants. That's right. It's very important to make sure that whatever you do for migrant integration, it does not come at the expense of other groups, but rather that disadvantage is addressed in a holistic and comprehensive way, while acknowledging that immigrants by the nature of the fact that they have been raised and educated abroad or that their parents have come from a very different context, have some specific issues which may require some targeted action, but it also should be done in a way that makes sure that no one is left behind and including notably also the disfavored people born in the country. Let's talk about some examples. Can you tell us a little bit about what you've observed on terms of best practices or successful projects some things that you've seen going on in countries? The good news is that a lot of the things that seem to be very successful are not necessarily the most costly. One thing that's very effective and that we see a lot happening also at the local level, something that engages also the civil society, is, for example, mentorship programs. Because one thing that's often forgotten is that clearly language training is important, that people learn the host country language. It's the most important prerequisite for integration. And that's where a lot of the public programs targeted. Every country has language training for immigrants to some degree. But getting those kind of host country skills is not sufficient because there's a lot of tacit knowledge. How does a host country society function? It's not something you can learn from a book. That's something that you cannot learn from a book or not necessarily learn in a public course. That's why you need somebody to show you around, to help you around, to kind of know the nuts and bolts of what's bringing together the host country society. How do I find a job? What I have to know when I come into a recruitment interview? Um, but also, like, the whereabouts of the society. What is a good association for me to meet new people and all of that? It's something that somebody who has been born and raised and educated in this country can obviously show you around. And the good thing is that these kind of mentorship programs, they also help people to connect and they engage the host country society. So and those it's a two-way learning experience. It's a, a two-way learning experience. And the good news is that wherever it's been tried out, finding a good number of mentors has normally not been the issue. So tell me then a little bit of about how different kinds of migrants experience integration. You know, a mentorship program may not be the same thing for a young man, for an older woman, for someone who's a refugee or someone who's an economic migrant, just to take the example you gave us. But tell us a bit how different integration efforts are targeting different groups of migrants. There's one thing 
to note about micron integration, if you want to understand the phenomenon of migration and the integration, we must think much more than in terms of formal skills or education levels, where there's a huge diversity, obviously, to think about in terms of category of entry. Why have the people arrived in the host country? Is it as a labor migrant? Then generally people have a job and they obviously they have already lots of links with the host country and they're well economically integrated pretty soon after arrival or already up on arrival. Whether they have come as a family migrant, that means that they have some kind of attachment also to the host country, or whether people have, for example, come as refugees uh, on humanitarian grounds. And these are obviously a particularly disfavored group in the labor market and society at large because they have no attachment to the host country. And clearly, it's also a group that faces more difficulties related to the nature of their forced migration than those who have come through other ways. And looking at this in a group-specific way helps also to address the issue that these people are facing. Family migrants often do not get a lot of integration support because it's presumed that their principal migrant takes care of them. But clearly, they also have needs to learn the language, mm. to integrate socially. And while there may not be a need because they have arrived for family reasons, often they get children soon after arrival, there may not be a possibility to integrate them right away. So you must think about that perhaps three, five years down the line, that these people are a resource and that these people are here, that it's also needed not only for economic integration, but for social integration to take care of that group. Well, we've talked about a lot today. And before we stop, I just wanted to go back to what I said at the beginning, that, you know, we've seen a lot in the past few years with the refugee crisis of horrible stories, heartbreaking journeys. And as we shift towards integration, what else should we be thinking about? What are the emerging issues as people start to settle in? There has been a lot of focus right now on recent arrivals, particularly with respect to refugees. But this is actually just a small part of overall migration flows to OECD countries. And clearly the big bulk of people have been in the country for many years. And we see that even their native-born children face often issues linked to their parental disadvantage. So looking at these groups who have been in the country for a long time, it should not be neglected in this current context where there's a lot of focus on new arrivals. And also I think we need to look a lot more towards integration of family migrants and particularly of immigrant women because that has a huge impact on the better life chances for their children. And the integration of these children who are born, raised and educated in the host country, that's actually the litmus test for integration. Thank you, Thomas, for your time. It's been really great talking with you today. I'm Kate Lancaster, and you've been listening to OECD Podcasts. To find out more about the issues we've been discussing, go to oecd.org migration. Thank you for choosing OECD Podcasts. To listen to more, go to soundcloud.com oecd.